We've been studying together from Scripture what it means to be a builder or a rebuilder. And we, we really have learned a number of very good principles that I'm so glad that we are applying, we are using, and we are living by those principles. In my heart of hearts, I really believe that every one of us is hardwired to be a builder or a rebuilder. Oh, leaders. You are here to come and encourage the communities now. Yeah, I believe in our hearts of hearts. It's shown and it's demonstrated really by as we grow as children, you, you, you find that the little ones, they just love progress. Uh, little children, they love achievement. If they, if they learn how to walk, they, they just love demonstrating that to you, to show you that they can walk. Because inside of us, we want progress. We want success. We want to be builders and not destroy us. Can I have an amen here? Amen. And so it's an important thing for us to note that. We've learned then that God is, our, our God is a builder. It was a very important lesson to learn. When we noted that God's modus operandi is to build. And that in making anything of substance, God uses the approach of building. God doesn't just hold it in just like that. He builds. And that within every one of us, secondly, is the inspiration or what I want to call the breath of God that propels us to want to progress. And it propels us to want good things, excellent things. For that reason... We want to work hard. We want to achieve. We want to build our spiritual lives, financial lives. We want to build our careers. There are people who go into bodybuilding. They build their bodies. Amen. Amen. We've also learned, thirdly, that building, if you're going to be a builder, if you're going to engage in building, building requires certain things. For instance, you must have a pattern or a plan. You can't just, just start without a pattern or a plan. And, and maybe let's put it this way. You've got to have a vision. A, a vision will, will force you to become a builder. And any builder doesn't just set out to build without vision. And that's why vision is so important. And that's why I personally believe and, and I think this is important. Why is it that people must sit under the teaching of God's word on a continuous level? Because there's something about the word of God that stirs vision in the hearts of people. Hallelujah. So we've learned that when we build, we need a pattern. Number two, we've learned that when we build, we've got to lay a foundation. You've got to start somewhere. And I'm going to talk a bit about that today. You've got to lay a foundation. Building, we noted, also needs intentionality. When you build, you must be intentional. When you build, you must understand what you are doing, why you are doing it, and there are certain things. 
You don't yield to certain influences. You don't connect with certain groupings. You don't hang around with certain people. You become choosy and intentional. We are not destroying, we are building. Building, we noted as well, requires an unhurried spirit. If you are going to be a builder, you know that you might not finish what you are doing today, but you've got to have an unhurried spirit. Building as well requires sacrifice. When you are busy with building, you know that you'll have to sacrifice. There are certain things you, ca- you have to do without. Certain things you've got to walk away from. We note it as well that building needs a willing heart. There has to be a willingness about you. you got, because building is going to require more out of you than you want. <laughs> it's about more time, more money, more effort, more everything. So how, when you, when you build, and allow me to say, I don't know how to say it in English, utsuputsimulom. I don't know how you say it in English. If you, if you go about building, you know, sulking. Yeah, maybe that's the term. If you are a sulking type, you're not going to build anything. If you are a, an oversensitive type, you know, if you are a type that gets offended easy, you know what I'm saying? You're not going to build anything. Building, we noted, that leads to the next point. It needs hard work. The work of building is hard. And building needs the determination to finish. And I think what I enjoyed during the week when we were doing the, the, the winter Bible seminar, the last day when I was talking about the gates that Nehemiah built, those 12 gates, they have a prophetic meaning. So we learned about the 12 gates that Nehemiah built, and we noted that each of the gates speaks of a critical element that must characterize how we build. And it's interesting to note that he starts with a specific gate. So the order and the sequence that we must adopt when we build, there's a certain sequence. Certain things must follow certain things. And so it speaks about the priority that we must apply when we build. So we noted with Nehemiah's case, he built the sheep gate. And we said the sheep gate speaks of Christ, the Lamb of God. But it speaks about a spiritual approach or a, a, in a theological response to the issue of building. And, and to us all, it speaks about how we put God at the center of building. We are acknowledging that even if we are involved in the work of building, we can't do it without God. We put God at the center, but we're also expressing the fact that when God moves on you, you can only be a builder. You know, it's easy to destroy. It's difficult to build. It's, it's easy to, 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 to finish everything, but it's very hard to build up. And, and, and God by nature is a builder. And his spirit on us is that makes us to build. So the ship gate was the first. So this act by Nehemiah was a prophetic statement where he's a recognizing, as Psalms 127 says, except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. Can I hear a good amen in the house? Now, today, I want us to talk around this theme as we conclude, because this is our last Sunday in July, and I'm not going to, you know, talk about this theme anymore. I want to conclude it today. But today, I want us to speak and give you a Smolanyana exhortation under the title, Do Not Discount Smallness. Just Get 
busy for God. I know it's a long title, but I like it. Do not discount smallness. Just get busy for God. You know, one of the principles I learned soon when I started reading the Bible is that God would rather you be busy doing something than sitting down and moaning. The example that I gave, you know, last week, that it's, it's amazing when you look at the people that God used, you know, everybody there was busy doing something. You know, you know Moses was a shepherd. You know, Joshua was Moses' helper. And, and, and you go and you look at people like Elisha was a farmer. Jesus called the 12 men. They were fishers. And one of them was a doctor. And uh, I mean, later on, he did follow later on. But Paul was a tent maker. Jesus himself was a carpenter. It's almost like God looks for busy people. He's not looking for busy bodies. <laughs> There's a difference. He's looking for busy people. So I want to encourage us to get busy doing something for God. Busy yourself because you know, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you busy yourself, you don't have time to be distracted. I was thinking about it, uh, you know, some few weeks ago, how, you know, in our young days, you know, as a, as, a, as, a, as a teenager, I was so busy with the things of God. I wasn't running a church, but we, I was busy going to, you know, prayer meeting, busy going to Bible study, busy going to practice, busy going to, to, to the gym, busy going here. I was busy. And, you know, how busy? I don't know how to say it in English. You have no time to ganga. Do you understand what I'm saying? You, you, there's no time. You're busy. You're busy. You, you're just busy. And, and the busyness makes you purpose-driven. You know, the busyness also haunts and sharpens you as a person. And it makes you understand how to set goals, how to go for targets. And, and this is why we must be busy. I remember a few years ago, I was thinking about it. There were young people in our church who had started prayer meetings and they would go over, over. And of course, there were things that were happening there, not evil things, but I wasn't happy them being gone so late, going home late. And I was, talking about, I was praying about it and God said, Musa, what He said, do you see these young people? I would rather they go there and pray until 10 p.m. than linger around until 10 p.m. doing nothing because the devil will find something for them to do. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 to verse 10, please find it. I read the NIV Bible. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. What are you, O mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become a level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me and said the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple and his hands will also complete it then you will know that the Lord God Almighty has sent me. Big question, verse 10. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hands of the Rubabel. 
May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Hallelujah. Now, we've observed from the Bible passages that we have studied in the last week on this topic of building and rebuilding, the central characters there were Nehemiah and Zerubbabel. And they came about as those who played a major role in the rebuilding of the Jerusalem. I must add, however, that Nehemiah and Zerubbabel are not the only two people who played a role in building, but they just are the central characters. One author summarized the words as follows. When he was talking about other people who built, he said, and I quote, Nehemiah built the wall, Zerubbabel built the temple, Haggai built the administration. Which means every one of us, as builders, we have different graces and different abilities that come from God. We have different assignments, but God will always be the one who inspires us to build. Some of you, God has inspired you and will lead you to be the builder in your family. Where you are in a family where things are not working and you are that stability. You are that stable person. You are that reliable person. You are that person that everybody runs to for help. And God has anointed you to be a builder of the family, a builder of the home. Some of you, God's anointed you to be builders of buildings. Some of us, we are anointed by God to be builders of churches. Everybody has got something that they are building. And so we note that Nehemiah builds the wall, Zerubbabel builds the temple, Haggai builds the administration This means that each one of us can contribute in the work of building and rebuilding, no matter how small your contribution may seem. Your contribution, it matters, and we need your contribution. Now, in order to understand this passage I have read, I want to link you to the book of Ezra, the book of Haggai, and the book of Nehemiah. Obviously, I'm not going to read them. I'll just narrate the background story. In the Old Testament, the book of Ezra, in the book of Ezra in the Old Testament, we read that Cyrus, the king of Persia, makes a decree to rebuild the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, which is the temple. So Cyrus sends out a call for any of the Jews who had been in exile and they had remained faithful to God to go and be a part of this construction project. And so we read then in the book of Haggai, the book of Ezra, the book of Nehemiah, we note that God raised up Zerubbabel, who was chosen to lead the people specifically in this section of the rebuilding of the temple. So Zerubbabel, along with Joshua the high priest, stood unfortunately at that time in the face of opposition, threats for serving God faithfully. Now, this did not mean that they did not get discouraged in the face of mountains and obstacles and naysayers that faced them. So the prophet Zechariah, as we note in our main passage, is given a vision by God to deliver a message to Zerubbabel that, born as Zerubbabel, much as you are where you are at, God is in control. And God says to him, I don't want you to discount your smallness. How many times in history has our great God 
accomplished great and amazing things. And the things that God did started out so small that short-sighted people looked down at the endeavor and said that the endeavor would never amount to anything. God never starts big. God always starts small. Can I hear an amen there? Many great accomplishments for God had small beginnings. The context of our passage is that after the liberation of the children of Israel from Babylonian exile, Zerubbabel, this is around 537 BC, led the Jewish remnant back to Jerusalem and Judah. And under his leadership as governor, who was appointed by Cyrus, he returned with a group of these expatriate Jews to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple which had been destroyed. Those around, they looked at Zerubbabel and these few people with scorn. They looked with scorn even at the work that was done. And so in chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, we read that the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah, it says. Then it says they troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. As a result, many of the short-sighted people barked at those basic efforts and then they despised the thing, said this is just a small thing. What we are doing is small beginnings. But understand, with God, there are no small things. We find that the angel of the Lord comes to Zerubbabel in Zechariah 4, as we read, encouraging him to get busy. Maybe your project looks small, but get busy. Maybe what you are doing doesn't come on CNN, it doesn't come on BBC, it doesn't come on any television, but just get busy. And God said, don't only get busy, complete what you have been called to do, no matter how small it is. So you and I, we need to learn from the example and apply these principles that we see in the lives of Zerubbabel and his co-worker. Here are the principles. I want to give them to you quickly. Number one, the first thing we must recognize is that the work we are doing is the Lord's work. It's the Lord's work. With limited resources, and an overabundance of obstacles, Zerubbabel was faced with a seemingly impossible task. But God made it clear that born as Zerubbabel, ne? chill brother, ne? I am in control. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. In chapter 4 verse 6 it says, So he answered and said unto me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. God say, born and daughter, I'm in control. Warren Whipsey says this, and I quote. I mean, George MacDonald said rather, and I quote, in whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed more miserably. End of quote. <laughs> in whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed more miserably. Someone said, trowel and hammer, saw and plane are instruments of vanity unless the Lord be the master builder. We know that from Psalms 127 verse 1, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. 
Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. So be, be, be conscious of this fact. This is the Lord's work. The task for them seemed impossible. But God delights in the impossible. See, when you read about, I was listening to uh, uh, Fred Price the other time, and, and he was saying, he was saying this, and it struck me. He said, he said you know, anytime you think you know what the end will be before you start, then uh, oftentimes you are not really listening to God. And I thought, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? He said, oftentimes God will never show you the fullness of what you're going to be involved in. You know, God kind of sort of teases us into saying yes. I mean, if you read the book of Jeremiah, when God called Jeremiah, Jeremiah was so enthusiastic. God tells them before you were born, when you were in your mother's womb, I knew you, you know, and God, you know. You know and, and God says, who shall I send? And Jeremiah raises his hands and says, me, 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 me. And then a few chapters into Jeremiah, you see the guy is so depressed. Ministry didn't work out the way he thought. And he starts complaining. And I mean, in one chapter, he gets really dark. He starts cursing everybody. He says, cursed be the day in which I was born. Cursed be whatever. And he says, even cursed be the man who came and announced the news that I was born. And the brother was really down. Because when he went out, after God called him, after God told him, to, to, that he's calling him, he, God didn't tell him the full story. Yeah. So God's not going to tell you the full story. All he will do is to put a desire in you. Why? Because he knows you're going to experience obstacles. And God wants you to get to that point where you're going to trust him anyhow. And you will be resolved in your heart and in your mind. This is the work of God. This is what God has called me to do. And you have to get to the point one day where you sit alone and you realize, if you don't help me, this will never get finished. That's what God wants us to do. So we've got to always remember God is in charge. It took Zerubbabel two years to rebuild the foundation of the temple. Two years. And as he started building the foundation, then... Construction was delayed by the Samaritans and the Amorites. The Ammonites. And the efforts of the opposition to the temple construction resulted in Persia withdrawing support from the project. <laughs> and then the reconstruction was halted for 17 years. I tell you, this is not easy at all. Not, all. not easy. As construction resumed, they were within the ranks of Israel, older Jews, who recalled the grandeur of the first temple. And then they started complaining and criticizing Zerubbabel and saying, what you're building falls short of the beauty of the former. You know, it's one thing for people outside to criticize what you're doing, but it's another thing for your own team to turn against you. Not easy. And they criticized and they put down Zerubbabel's work as poor substitute. And these are people who come with a nostalgia of talking about the good old days. I just don't like people who do that. When I'm trying to busy to try and do something here, they tell me about the good old days. Listen, I'm not in the good old days. I'm in the days now. I'm trying to deal with the problem now. 
Don't tell me when Boroto and Eli five cents. Please don't tell me that. This is wrong, When bread was five cents, what am I going to do about that? But that's what happens. And so in Zechariah 4 7, we read, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, who shall become, you shall become a plain. I want to ask you, what mountains are you facing? Is it sickness? Is it disease? Is it financial wars? Is it marital problems, family problems? Is it anxiety? Is it depression? What mountains are you facing? Is it that you feel all alone? You feel like a sore thumb in your family. Here we are. God is ready to help you. Andrew Murray says, and I like this. He says, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life of those fully yielded to him. God will assume full responsibility. No wonder Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26, with men, this is impossible. Matter with God, all things are possible. So that's the first thing. This is the work of God. Number two, remember the work must have the right foundation. Zechariah 4, 9, first part, the hands of Zerubbabel has laid the foundation of the temple. In rebuilding God's ruined temple, one of the first things Zerubbabel did with the help of God was to lay the foundation. It's only after the foundation is laid that he could build up. What am I talking about? There are foundational things that we mustn't compromise. As we build, we've got to build on the foundation of truth. We must build on the foundation of integrity. We must build on the foundation of loyalty. We must build on the foundation of humility. Never ever compromise what you are trying to build. Never allow people to come and ruin what you are trying to build by bringing their own stuff in there. Build with things that are proper. The foundation is important. And the third thing is this. We note in this passage that the work will always face opposition. We've talked about that. I don't want to stay too long on that. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, we see Sanballat and Tobiah speaking against Nehemiah. An unknown author says this, and I quote, when you meet the devil, you will know you are not going his way. If you never meet him, you must be going in the same direction. End of quote. No wonder Nehemiah says in Nehemiah 4.9, they that were trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work, he says, so I continued to work with even greater determination. If there's anything we must do, Barcelona, in the face of opposition, is to do more of what they are saying we mustn't do. Yeah. We must do more of that. Number four. We can easily become discouraged by our smallness and seeming helplessness. Excuse me. We can easily become discouraged by our smallness and seeming helplessness. You see, when you come into hostile environments and you meet hostility when you are trying to build, you know, there's always that uncle Who's criticizing what you're trying to do? <laughs> you know, I used to laugh about it. <laughs> I was telling somebody, this is, a, this is all many years ago, so you won't know, even the person I'm talking about has passed on. We had, a, my, we had an uncle in the family. It wasn't my uncle. It was the uncle of somebody in the family. I don't want to go into... And, uh, and uh, I mean, this uncle was 
always criticizing. Always, always, always criticizing. He was like he was like a grandfather to me. Always criticizing. Always I don't remember. Always criticizing. If he sees you operate didn't talk, or no, that thing is cheap quality. <laughs> Serious. <laughs> you know, and, and, and yet when you looked at him, he who he, anyhow, let me not go there. He's my grandfather. I can't say that. But I remember one day he, he, came, he came home and he was eating food, you know. You know, and uh, he used to live alone. He, things didn't work out for him. And as he's eating, he's criticizing the food. And I'm thinking, Marawaja. You know, I don't, I don't understand this man. He's eating. Yeah? He's eating. Whilst he is eating your food, he... He tells you that you should have put in more paprika and more and more and more barbecue sauce because that's why your, your, your gravy is sour because you didn't put sugar in it. And I'm, and I'm thinking, Mara, you are eating. Oksala, you are eating. You must know how to manage people like that when you're a builder. They, they, they know how to, to have a snag list of what you're building, Marabona. They're not building anything. They also always know a better product, better bricks and better mortar, better cement. Mara, kavona, akunanchumu. It's always a problem. So you need to understand that you shouldn't become discouraged by your smallness. Even if your bricks might not be Great quality. Oksala, you are building. Are you, are you there, everybody? Very important. Very important. So hostility, lack of financial moral support, along with internal criticism, led the project to discouragement. Zerubbabel was given by a commission by God, but he succumbed to discouragement. He became disheartened by the obstacles and the the, 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 the opposition he encountered. The, 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 there's, a, there's a legend that says, this is, you know, it's just a story to illustrate, but it's not true, Mara. It, it, it's nice to, to say it. The legend says that the devil one day once advertised his tools for sale at a public auction. <laughs> when, the, when, the, when the prospective buyers assembled, there was one oddly shaped tool that was labeled not for sale. So the people asked, why is this one not for sale? He said, look, I can spare my other tools, but I cannot spare this one. It's the most useful implement that I have. And this tool is called discouragement. And with it, I can work my way into the hearts of otherwise, of places that are inaccessible. Says, when I get this tool into a man's heart, the way is open to plant anything there that I may desire. End of quote. So the message of Zechariah to Zerubbabel was to be a messenger of encouragement. To tell him not to give up under the weight of enormous difficulties that he was facing. To give, he mustn't give in to discouragement. He must persevere. If you're going to do what God has called you to do, you will face mountains and tests and trials, oppositions, obstacles. They will seek to discourage you, to defeat you, even when we work for God. 
Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 6 to, 7, 6 to 10. He said, it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He, has, he says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power that belongs to God and that power is not from us. Then he says, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. He said we are always carrying in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. He is saying when we become, when we get to the peak of the manifestation of the power of God is when we are under the greatest attack. When you look at us, you see scars all over us. You see blood flowing all over us. But it is when we are in that condition that we experience the life-giving power of the Spirit of God. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Don't be discouraged by your smallness. Don't, don't give up because things are small. God's power is infinite through Christ. We can be victorious in the face of all obstacles. That is why God is asking, who has despised the day of small things? Don't discount your smallness. We may be small, but we can be greatly used of the Lord. When James talks about it in James chapter 3, he said, when you look at horses, you put bits in their horse's mouth. Beats are small, but even if you put beats in their mouth, you can control them through the small anyana bits. He says, look at the big ships. You use a small helm to control them. He says, you know, look, look at all this. All these big things are controlled by small anyana things. God uses small things to accomplish great things in history. In Judges 4, God used a wooden peg in the hand of a woman to defeat Israel's enemy. In First Kings, God used one stone in the hand of a young man to bring down a giant. God took a handful meal and a jar of oil to food, feed a widow and her son through a time of famine. Jesus, our Lord, took five loaves and two fish to feed a multitude. And note this, the greatest miracle of all in an animal stall tucked away in a small insignificant village that's called Bethlehem. God brings out the savior of the world. Do not despise small things. Do not despise small things. So no matter what it is that you're doing, no matter how small your project may seem, no matter how small your contribution may seem, you are a builder. You are a rebuilder. Do not despise the role that you are playing. I can tell you, Barcelona, on a personal level as a pastor, there are people in our church who might not necessarily know how much they impact our lives. And I've had a chance now and then to talk to some of them. As I've, there are people that just, they are faithfulness in jail. They are loyalty in jail. I mean, through this time, Bazalana, as we've been doing this program and as I've been looking at these young people who are helping us with cameras and, and working behind the scenes, as I look at some of the people on the group here, some of these young people here are so faithful. My goodness. They are just there. They're just a picture of stability. 
And even on times when I've come on the pulpit and I was all torn and loaded with emotions because of what's going on in our country. And you try as a leader to lead and you come here and you just feel so empty by just looking at them. They don't know how much they were able to strengthen the men of God. They may not be on television. They may never even know the role they play. Your small contribution is needed. And I want you to know at home, nothing too small that God cannot use. You are not too small that God can use you. You may not be eloquent. You may not think you know much. People may not regard you highly. But there's a God in heaven who says, don't despise the day of small things. Can I pray for you? Let me pray for you now. You want to receive Christ as Savior and Lord? Call that number that you see on the screen right now. Give that life to God. Let God change it. Father, I pray for this, your child, who comes to you now and invites you into their lives. Come into their hearts. Be the Savior and the Lord of their lives. Change them and make them to be a new person. Thank you that the power of the Holy Spirit comes into their lives and changes them now in Jesus' name. I want you to know as I close right now, please listen carefully. God's not forgotten about you. Your contribution might seem small, but it goes a long way. Goes a long way. I ask you, no matter what it is that you've gone through in this time, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, the loss of relationships, where you just feel like you're just swimming in a sea of confusion. God is aware of you. Don't stop being a builder. Busy yourself with the work of God. Thank you for joining us today. Let's meet again next week. God bless you all in Jesus' name.